The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to be looking at the book of Matthew. I'm going to be, I'll read the first 17 verses for us, and then we will pray and ask God to help us, and then we will start looking at this together. So uh, Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Jerem, Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jehoiakim, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. We still have 14 to go. You guys okay? <laughs> and after the deportation to Babylon... Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the father of uh, Abuad, and Abuad was the father of Elikium, and Elikium the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achan, and Achan the father of Eluid, and Eluid the father of Ezar, and um, I'm sorry, Elazar, and Elazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations of Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, opening to the book of Matthew where we get introduced to our King, to the Savior, to the Messiah, and Father, as we look at these names and this family, we ask that you would teach us who Jesus is, and that you would help us to submit to him as he is the beginning of all new things. It's in his name we pray, amen. I appreciate you kind of bearing with me through reading that. I know that um, I just kind of felt like springing that on us, like, hey, we're going to read the phone book here of the Bible, and everybody's going to get to hear all these names. Um, but as we're beginning uh, at a new location and meeting here for the first time, um, and then we're getting close to the end of the year, um, and we're going to be starting a new, uh, new year in January, uh, we are looking at a lot of new things, and so we are beginning this new book as we're looking at Matthew, because we want to uh, look at how Jesus begins everything new. Um, not only at Christmas time, but as a part of God making everything new. Jesus is where God starts uh, to really change things up. And so as we are looking here, um, we are looking at this genealogy of how Jesus uh, begins everything new. Um, genealogies are maybe not um, 
the first thing that you think about when you think about Christmas. I'm not sure, uh, uh, have you guys ever done like Ancestry.com or something like that where you've like, do you do like a blood vial or something like that? You send it in or you, like, you look up your name. It's kind of becoming a bit of a thing now where people will do like their genealogies. I don't know about you. I know about three generations back. I don't know, like I knew that my grandfather's family is from Ross, Oklahoma, and there's literally two stop signs, and that's about as far back as I know where my family is from. <laughs> I, and then I know that some of my mom's family is from Norway, which is pretty cool, but I don't know exactly know how that connects. Um, what the generations are. In some cultures, um, I don't know if you guys have uh, ever, like, um, my friends who are Hispanic, like, you can ask their name, and they're like, well, my name is, you know, Juan Ramirez, but then, yeah, exactly. So see, Anna knows. So if, we, if you ask, like, well, what's your real name? Then this goes, like, you know, for, like, seven or 12 back. It's incredible. They know their whole family. They know where they came from. And that's why Matthew here is, he is kind of setting the foundation for who Jesus is. What's his name, right? Jesus' name, where does he come from? This is Jesus. If he were um, Hispanic, um, he would say, this is my 14 by 14 by 14 last name. It just goes way back. Um, Jesus, uh, is this, this is the beginning of where we're starting. And so um, it's actually intentional. At verse 1 here, when we're looking at this, um, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. When Matthew says that, he's actually using this word genealogy, which is right used at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, where God says, in the beginning, God created. This is the Genesis. This is the beginning of what God is doing new in Jesus. And that's why he's starting with all these names, because Jesus doesn't come from anywhere. God is creating something new. And if you know anything about the Bible and you're looking at this, um, you're going to look at this list of names. You're going to be, ah, this is why the Bible can't be trusted because there's all these names that are left out. See, this is why there's a problem with the Bible. And it's actually intentional because the names are not listed there to be, um, as we're going to look through these, they're not listed specifically to be this person to this person to this person. There's actually a story that God's telling in the names and how they're listed to say this is the type of people this is the family that Jesus comes from. This is the beginning, and not only just the beginning, but the raw beginning of where God begins to work in people. And if you look through, as we're going to look through these names, there's actually a good amount of um, sad and difficult and colorful people here. Um, I mean, even just off the bat, you have Jesus, the son of Abraham, right? Abraham, he was uh, not exactly the nicest guy, but also he was barren. His life was not filled with what he wanted. You had, um, you had uh, David. Here's we're going to look at this. And David, his life was total chaos. And then you look at, we're going to be seeing um, the uh, deportation, right? The exodus, the exile in the last half of the Old Testament. That's where all the... Uh, all the brokenness and despair uh, comes out in full force in the Old Testament. And so as we're going to be looking at this, we're going to be looking at how God has, written, has given us this genealogy so that we can submit to Jesus for our new beginning. Because Jesus is the beginning of all the hopes of the Old Testament and all the hopes of our hearts. And this is, as we're looking at this, we're going to be seeing how Jesus is the beginning of all new things. And so uh, we're going to pick up verse 1. Um, can we read this? This cool? All right. Verse 1, we're going to pick up again in verse 1 through 6. We're going to be seeing that Jesus is the new beginning of blessing. So it, it starts out with Jesus being uh, the son of Abraham. right? You have 
verse, uh, verse 1, it says he's the son of Abraham, and then it goes through Abraham's genealogy. And why, is, why does he draw attention to that, that Jesus is the son of Abraham? Can we get that slide up? There we go. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, lays out kind of what is, what's the, what is the deal with Abraham? Why is he important, and why does God draw attention to him? So the Lord said to Abram, uh, Abraham is, became Abram, same guy. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make you a name, make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and will bless those who bless you, and you will dishonor. And sorry, this is a little dark. And him who dishonors you, I will curse, and on all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And let's go to the next slide here. Right, and in your offspring, all the nations of the to the end of the earth will be blessed. I'm sorry, all the nations to the end of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Right? When God chose Abraham, who was a moon worshiper out in the Middle East, he called him to be his own, and he said, I'm going to use you uh, to make a whole new people, and I'm going to bless you, and from you, I'm going to make a whole new nation of people. When, when God says that he is going to use Abraham to bless other people, that seems kind of like, well, what, is, what does blessing mean? Right? That seems kind of like a weird phrase. Or a word, uh, we don't exactly say, when we say bless you, when we say like, when somebody sneezes, but we don't exactly know, or you think of like, what does blessing mean? Blessing, I think, means uh, abundance and belonging, right? So he says, look, Abraham, I'm going to make you, uh, I'm going to give you this whole land to be yours, right? It's going to be flowing with food, and it's going to be, you know, chock full of the best food that you could eat, and the best wine and cheese you could drink or eat. It's got abundance, beyond measure. And then belonging, right? So he's talking about offspring. He's not just saying, like, look, I want a big Thanksgiving table. Like, I want there to be a people that you belong to, that you are a part of. So when God says to Abraham, look, I'm going to use you to bless the nations, he's talking about, I want everybody in the world to be filled, abundant, and their life with me, and they belong with me. That's... uh. That's what's going on here, which is why at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, now go and make disciples of all people. Go to the ends of the world because God started something new in Jesus that he intends to use to bring all people into this abundance and belonging that God's starting in Jesus. So why do we need Jesus? <laughs> well, that's why, uh, that's why Matthew starts out with this genealogy. Uh, if you go through this, it's a bit of a Jerry Springer show of people. Right, verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Um, Isaac, if you'll remember, uh, he gets three chapters in the book of Genesis um, devoted to him because he was a guy who loved to eat and sleep and didn't really follow God very well. Um, and he uh, had a favorite that he chose that he wasn't supposed to give the blessing to. He was not a good guy. The, Isaac was the father of Jacob, uh, my namesake. Jacob was a liar, um, and he uh, had, had favorites among his kids, which didn't go very well for family politics. Uh, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, uh, and Judah had this great reputation of being seduced by his sister, uh, by his daughter-in-law, and so that's what it says there in verse two. Judah was the father of Perez and Perez uh, and and Zamar by Tamar. So Tamar was his sister-in-law, um, and that's uh, that produced a child, which is you know not exactly the most commendable situation. <laughs> um, and then uh, goes on to say that Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. And Aminadab, and Nation, and Nation was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz by Ruth. And when he says there in verse three, uh, verse I'm sorry, verse five, father was the 
as Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, Rahab was a prostitute in the book of Judge, uh, in the book of Joshua. So here we have a lot of kind of sketchy characters being mentioned, but they are a part of Jesus' family. They're a part of his his family uh, tree. Goes on to say Rahab, uh, and then Boaz by the father of Obed by Ruth. And so the important thing to note there is that if this was kind of to be like um, like his birth certificate to say like, hey, he is a pure pure ethnic Jew. Um, it is not a good idea to mention in his genealogy four people who are not Jewish, right? We're not going to get political and start saying like any sort of like birth or stuff or anything like that. But just saying like if Jesus was supposed to be kind of like this, uh, this guy from a pure lineage with a pure background, with the pure credentials, uh, this is not the sort of thing that you mention. But the reason that they mention all these things, these colorful characters, right? So you have Ruth, and then who's not uh, a Jew, and then you have uh, Jesse by the father, uh, who's the father of David the king. And then if you finish verse 6, what does it say? <laughs> David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, which is a, a very kind of tactful way of saying uh, David was not only an adulterer, but it should say uh, the wife of dead Uriah because David killed Uriah. <laughs> right? This is this a bit of colorful characters. The reason I think this is all laid out here for us and very kind of stark realities is that uh, all these characters were incredibly flawed. God wanted to bless. He wants to give abundance and belonging. He wants to bless, and that's his intention to. But the abundance that he, he wants to give has to come from somebody who is flawless and not all these flawed people. Right, the flawless king uh, from a flawed family tree uh, to bless flawed people like you and me. Jesus comes from a flawed family so that people like us, who are incredibly flawed, feel welcome at his table. Right? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Only people who are flawed are welcome to the, at the Lord's table because Jesus is the flawless king who comes to bless. Right? The reason that he wants to bless us is because he wants us to feel the abundance and know the abundant life of God. He wants us to know the abundance of God's nearness and blessing to us. He wants us to know the belonging of being a part of his people, being at rest in his presence. God, God is intending to bless us. And that's why Jesus comes from flawed people because the cross that Jesus is going to walk through for this whole gospel is leading up to the cross Jesus comes from a flawed family. He knows. I mean, I don't know if you ever had like issues with your parents, right? All parents are flawed. Jesus had flawed parents, just so you know. <laughs> Jesus had flawed parents, but Jesus was flawless. And he takes all his flawlessness and he walks up to the tree and he dies on the cross so that flawed people like us can be blessed. That we can be that we can know him. Right? I, I think a part of this is just so that we can feel welcomed into the book of Matthew. Like, hey, do you, where's your name in the book of Matthew? Well, we can probably begin to identify with some of these characters. People who are liars, who have been victimized, right? Actually, the four women who are mentioned are actually kind of mentioned in a hero. They're, they're heroes, right? It's not saying like, oh, these nasty women. It's actually the intention of putting their names in here is to say they're actually heroes of the faith. They were victims of horrible sexual stuff. And God still uses them and his family. 
he intends to bring us into his family as flawed people. Do you yearn? Are you eager for new blessing? Maybe this first little 14 names is an odd way of God inviting you into the book of Matthew to begin to experience the new blessing in Jesus. Right? We Are you yearning for a blessing, a family to belong to, or one that you don't deserve? Jesus is the new beginning of blessing because God is giving us full and new blessing in Jesus because of the king's flawless worth. So as we're starting this out, we're looking at this phone book of the Bible here. (laughs) There's a lot of reasons for it being there. But maybe one of the reasons is so that we see we're flawed people who are welcomed into God's family. So we're going to start to pick up in verse 6. Jesus' new beginning of order. Right, it, verse 1, it says that Jesus is the son of David, and then it picks up in the middle of verse 6. Jesus, or a part of da- Jesus' family. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. We've already mentioned this is not exactly the most commendable situation. Right? David was out. He saw a wife that he wanted. He had his, her, wife, her husband killed because he found out that she was pregnant. And then her son becomes the king of the country. It's a, if you ever feel like politics in America is a total like disaster zone, like you can imagine, well, we can kind of relate to this situation, right? It's, it's a total disaster zone. But Jesus is called out as the son of David because uh, God made a promise to David, even though he was an incredibly faithless and horrible guy in some ways, he was a good guy in other ways. And God made a promise to David, and he said in 2 Samuel, and your house... And your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne shall be established forever. So when God promises to David, he says, I'm going to make you the king, and and your children are going to reign forever, and it's going to be the way in which I extend my king, my kingship to the rest of the world, right? I'm I'm going to bring order through you. That's the way God intends this to be, is that he is, David is supposed to bring order, and God's God's, uh, design and God's rule to bear and to, to be realized in the world. That's, that's the reason that David's there. Um, but the problem is that David's kids, just like David, were, uh, they were a bit wishy-washy. <laughs> they were a bit faithless. Uh, if you read through the books of First and Second Samuel, you'll get kings, like there's maybe like three or four that were like good guys, and then like 12 or 15 who were bad guys. You know, they kind of waver back and forth as a, how faithful and faithless they are. That's, the, that's all these names that we get listed out here. We're not going to read them again. But all these guys, they're, they're kinda, they'll occasionally have like one moment where they're, like, they're being faithful, and then there's ten moments where they're being faithless. Um, and maybe, maybe that begins to feel like you and me. We're faithful for maybe one day, and then for a month we're faithless. We begin to see that we're, we're not that different from these guys and these stories. What's interesting is about, so this is all setting up the book of Matthew. And when De- Matthew uses the term son of David, he uses that more than anybody else in the New Testament. And every time that he uses it in the book of Matthew, it always has this healing, it's in a, in a healing story. Because when, when the son of David comes, the order that he brings, it heals us. It heals the brokenness, it heals the sin, it heals the disrepair and the chaos of our lives. The son of David, when he comes, there's actually a story at the end, right, right as Jesus is walking into Jerusalem towards the cross, as these two beggars, Jesus, heal us so that we can see you walking in. 
And, and Luke tells us it's blind Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is the only guy that Jesus heals that's actually named. He says, son of David, I want to see you. And Jesus heals him. He heals him from his faith, from the chaos of his life and not being able to see. That's, that's a part of what, what, what Matthew's doing here is that the king is coming. The king is being introduced to us. We're getting to see who the king is. And he's a, a king who brings order. But his order isn't just kind of crushed down on us. His order it heals us. It brings new life. You know, this is the gospel. That God's grace to you depends on the faithfulness of the king and not your faithfulness. Right, the order that he's bringing, Jesus is the faithful one. All these kings that are listed here, they were dirtbags and not good guys. <laughs> they were faithless. <coughs> But the reason that God mentions them here at the beginning is, I want to bring order. I'm bringing order, but I'm going to bring it through my faithful king, my faithful son, the son of David that I promised. Right? I'm not going to renege on my promises. When God makes a promise, he's going to fulfill it. But his promise is fulfilled through Jesus who comes and is the faithful one. I don't know, um, I don't know what, your, what your experience of chaos or faithlessness looks like. But the way in which we get in on this order that Jesus brings, the way in which we experience that, it's just real simple repentance and faith. Repentance and faith is how we get in on this order that Jesus has. It's Jesus, you're right. It's not only just that I'm wrong, but it's that you're eager to help me. That's what repentance is. It's this repentance and faith that Jesus, not only am I wrong, but you're eager to help me. Incidentally, also what happens is all these faithless guys they're actually a part of writing this prayer book in the middle of the Bible, <laughs> the Psalms. All these guys who are like total jerks and don't know how to like walk their life straight in a straight line, you know, like they couldn't walk a straight line if it was painted on the floor in front of them. All these guys, they were a part of writing 150 prayers in the Old Testament that God uses to give us expression of, how do I repent? What does it look like to say, God, I'm, I'm a total wreck and I need you? How does, it, how does it look to follow you when things are hard and that life does not make any sense at all? Repentance and faith is how God calls us to walk in this order of Jesus, and he gives us those words in the Psalms. How have, uh, in this last week for you, what has faithlessness looked like? What has faithlessness meant for you in this last week? Not trusting in God when things got hard? Turning to things that you know you shouldn't be turning to? The point isn't to say, look at you horrible person. <laughs> the point is to say, no, we're faithless people, just like, just like these guys. But the new beginning of order is in the faithful king and in trusting in him and going to him and following him. So we're going to finish up here. We're going to finish this genealogy. Jesus is the beginning of restoration here. Picking up in verse 12. Right, and after this, the deportation to Babylon. Actually, Jeconiah, the reason they went into Babylon is because Jeconiah was a liar <laughs> and a cheat. Um, by the way, if you ever want a... Uh, uh, I don't know if you guys know who Andrew Peterson is. I know Mike knows Andrew Peterson. Andrew Peterson wrote this album on... Uh, it's a Christmas album. It's kind of a, a different Christmas album. But he has a whole song. I was trying to figure out how to get it into the sermon. But he wrote a whole song on the begats of Matthew. Like he sings them. 
and it's way better than me reading it, I promise. It's a pretty good song, um, and it gets them into your head, and you're like, wow, I never thought that you could make a phone book into a song, but he did it. And, uh, but he mentioned, so that's just a, that's a freebie, sorry. Yeah, 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 <laughs> that, that was a freebie. But Jesus is the, so we're looking here, picking up at verse 12, the last 14 on this list. Jesus is the new beginning of restoration. And these are, again, these are a whole bunch of names that actually uh, exist from the exile. So at the end of the Old Testament, what happens is God kicks his people out of the, the promised land because they're being so faithless uh, and they are not following him. And then the, they go and spend some time in Babylon, which would be like uh, Patriots fans uh, going and hanging out with the Jets, right? That would be like, be like the worst thing ever. Um, and then eventually we get called back into the God's promised land of New Hampshire. Um, and so um, that's kind of the story of the Old Testament. And some of these names are recorded in the Old Testament, but most of them aren't. Actually, what's interesting is that most of these names, they're actually not found anywhere else. Um, they're not in the Bible because they're kind of forgotten to history in some ways. Um, they would have been recorded in the Jewish archives at the time. They would have been recorded in their like family archives. I don't know if you guys have ever met um, or come from like Mennonite families, but like Mennonites, I remember I stayed at a bed and breakfast once, and uh, they had this whole book in the um, in the lobby. I mean, it was it was huge, and it was just like all the like the names of all like the. I mean, you think this is a crazy genealogy? I mean, these guys were nuts. I mean, it was just like. 14 generations back, and who's married to who, and how many kids they had. I mean, just all the names of anybody who'd ever been a Mennonite ever, like that sort of thing. Uh, so the Jewish archives would have had all these names in them, but King Herod, at the time of Jesus, when Jesus was born, so meet King Herod in chapter 2, King Herod was not exactly like the legitimate king of the Jews at the time. And so the way he kind of covered up his tracks is he had all the Jewish archives burned. He had said all these names, all this family history, totally burned so that nobody could challenge him to be king. And so all these names are listed here. Matthew somehow had access to them, but he mentions them to say they aren't forgotten, <laughs> right? As God is, as God is the beginning, the new restoration in Jesus, as Jesus, the new beginning of restoration, all these people who are forgotten in history and actually burned out of the history books, they aren't forgotten to God. God knows them and cares about them. And this is actually what we're going to see in chapter 2 when we're looking at Matthew is um, there's a bit of a contention between Jesus, is Jesus the true king or is Herod the true king? And as God is beginning to tell us a story, Jesus is the true king because as remember, he's the Genesis, he's the beginning of new, everything new. And what we find is actually, if you remember the Genesis story, God creates everything and it has it end with Adam and Eve being faithful and knowing God. Here we have the end of Jesus' genealogy. God's beginning something new. It ends with Joseph and Mary, who are being faithful and know God. And Jesus is the true son who comes um, to bring restoration and to restore all things. So here, we can throw this next slide. Isaiah had promised about this. Je Jesus was going to be the fulfillment of this. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. Remember, I think all these generations are reading here. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and restorer of the streets to dwell in. Remember how we talked about blessing? A place to be, a life to know. Jesus is the one who restores us into God's family. He's the one who brings us into God's family. 
He's the one that restores us to the people, to be God's people, to know him. Right? All these, little, all these names that get mentioned here in these verses 12 to 16, they are forgotten in history. But God did not forget them as a part of his plan. People like you and me, um, just so you know, we're probably not going to make it on the history books of the world. Right? We might be forgotten to other people. God has not forgotten us. He has not forgotten to use us and to invite us into the restoration of all things that Jesus is doing. As Jesus comes and he brings restoration, as he is the new beginning, he loves to remember and use people like you and me who are not the most impressive people, even though you're all looking great this morning. He loves to use people as a part of his story Lives in our neighborhoods and our streets. Simple actions, caring for our neighbors, caring for those around us, being a part of God's restoration of abundance, with life, and belonging. Guys, I'm so excited for how God is going to use us here to be a part of what he's doing through hope and in our, new, in our neighborhoods. To bless our neighbors and to be a part of what he's doing here. And we'll, just kind of, we'll end with this. You know why it's interesting? It's an interesting part about this being 14, 14, 14. You ever thought, like, why is it 14, 14, 14? Verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Seems kind of like weird. Like, why would you? It's like, what's the symbolic value of 14? There's a bit of some arguments about it, but I think the simplest one is that 14 is just twice seven. Seven is the number of blessing and perfection. And so Jesus is the beginning of the new, the, the better, the better, the perfect blessing. He is the one who comes and brings the perfect blessing and the perfect order and the perfect restoration, right? Submitting to this king is, it is the simplest call to faith because he is perfect in every way. He is the one who has everything under control. We can trust him as he leads us, right? As, as things seem chaotic, as, seems, as, seems, as we seem faithless, as we see all this crazy stuff going on in our lives, Jesus is perfectly under God's control. Jesus is perfectly holding all things in control. And Jesus is the one that brings order and restoration and blessing as we submit to him. Right? He is the one, he is the king that we submit to because he is the beginning of all new things. And so as we're looking at the book of Matthew, can we go to this next slide? Here's going to be the main questions that we're kind of dealing with. Is Jesus your king? Are you submitting to him? That's what we're going to be seeing in the first four chapters. The, chapter 5 to 11, are you his disciple? Do you love to follow him? Do you enjoy him? Do you want to be like him? Right In chapters 12 to 16, do you submit to his authority? Do you, do you want to be under his good authority? Do you want him to rule over your life? Chapter 12 to 17, or 17 to 20, do you love his community? This church or another church, do you love to be a part of God's people and to live your life with them? And then 21 to 28, do you respond to the king? Are you responding to him as he leads, as he leads your sin to the cross and dies in your place so that you can be a part of his family and know him? Do you submit to him and respond to him? Right, as we're looking here at the beginning of Matthew, this phone book at the beginning of the book of Matthew, but I think there's more here than what we were just kind of reading through all these names. Jesus is the beginning of all new things. 
And so the call for us, are we submitting to him? Do we rest in him? Do we treasure and delight? Do we submit to our king for a new beginning? Let's pray. Father, as we look to Jesus as the beginning of all new things and as we, <coughs> we submit to him, Father, we ask that you would um, fill our hearts with more of Jesus to treasure him, to rest in him for blessing, Lord. Lord, we pray that he would bring blessing in our lives, life and abundance. Lord, that he would bring order in the chaos. Lord, that he would restore the broken reality of our lives. Lord, the things that don't make sense, the things that are challenging or chaotic, Father, I pray that he would restore, restore us. So, Lord, as we look to you, would you fill us with your spirit as we submit to Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.